0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. So I was prepping for this interview, and I often think about things when I'm out for a run. So I was out for a run last weekend in Long Beach Island, where we sometimes are on the weekends, at least during the summer. And I'm in my head. I'm in the zone. I sort of have my cadence down. I can, I count traffic lights. That's sort of how I, they're sort of few and far between. Those of you who've been to Long Beach Island will, will know, but I, I count traffic lights and that's sort of how I know where I am. And all of a sudden this biker comes toward me and I see he's wearing a shirt from the University of Pennsylvania. It says pen on it and All of a sudden, he he looks at me and he turns and he yells, Genie! And for those of you who don't know me from college or from the time before college, that is what all of my friends from college call me. And I'm telling you this because my friend Karen Austin is our guest today. We've been teeing up this show for such a long time. We're going to talk about positive psychology and mindfulness and meditation. And I couldn't be more excited because those are all... Things that are on my bucket list. But if you hear Karen call me Jeannie over the course of the interview, it's not that she's being rude. It's just that to anybody who knows me from there and then that is who I am. So Karen, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Jeannie. Happy to be here.
1: <laughs> it is, it is really, really nice to have you here. So for those of you who, um, are not familiar with Karen and her work, she is a writer. You've probably seen her pieces in the New York Times. She is also a certified positive psychology life coach and she spends A large amount of her time teaching mindfulness to people who really need it, including later today, she will be training a group of a 100 day camp counselors. I cannot think of an audience that needs mindfulness more except perhaps all of us. And, And she works with individuals and groups to help them find balance and resilience and positivity during transitions and challenging times and often those challenging times include money. So I'm so glad that you're here and I'm sorry that it's taken us so long to get our act together and
2: do this. I'm just glad it's, we're here together today. It's great.
1: Absolutely. So your coaching style, you're based on the principles of positive psychology. What what is that?
2: So positive psychology is an arm of the field of psychology. And essentially, it focuses rather than what's not working in your life, it focuses on what is successful and what has worked in your life. So, in the 1990s, when Martin Seligman, who you probably know, Jeannie, is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. When he was the president of the American Psychological Association, he challenged the field to focus on what was right and worthy of replicating in our lives and looking at what conditions bring out the best in people and communities and society. Because prior to that, psychology was very focused on what was wrong and broke broken and, you know, negative emotions. So that's what positive psychology is. It's looking at what has worked in the past and how can we broaden and build on that. So what
1: do you see as you look at different individuals? I mean, as as we look at our lives, when we're trying to figure out, okay, what's working and how do we replicate that? How do we clone it? I mean, how do we get started there?
2: Well, there's a number of things to look at. So Dr. Seligman created a, a new model, um, and they were really the elements of what make a good life. So the acronym for that is PERMA. So P is for positive emotion, mm-hmm. so that's the joy and the happiness that we feel. E is for engagement, when we feel flow and you know engaged in the things that we are doing.
1: Right. And people who listen to this show have heard us talk about flow before. That's the when you're so involved in your task that you forget to eat and forget to go to the bathroom.
2: Exactly. Exactly. The R is for relationships. So our interactions with other people, which is really known to be the number one contributor to happiness. And then the M is for meaning. So serving something that's bigger than we are. And the A is for accomplishments or achievement. So these are sort of the five elements that make up well-being. And the things that, you know, like kindness and love and gratitude, those are all elements of um, well-being. So when people suggest things
1: like keeping a gratitude journal that you should write down three things at the end of the day that you're grateful for and then revisit them on a weekly basis, the things that you've written down just to remind yourself that things are good in your life? Is that sort of, that's this movement?
2: Absolutely. So I'm a huge proponent um, of keeping a gratitude journal and I have kept my own. I sort of did it as a 30-day challenge and found that I got so much out of it, so much positivity out of it that I continued. So I'm, I'm about a year in. And each night before I go to sleep, I write three things down that I feel grateful for on that particular day. So you wouldn't write, uh, I'm grateful for my family, because that's you know that's sort of an overarching feeling of appreciation, but I may write down, I'm so grateful that I took a walk with my daughter today. I'm so grateful that that strawberry I ate was so sweet. So it's things that really are specific to that particular day. And they are known through research to have really increased our levels of happiness.
1: So when we say you're a positive psychology life coach, how do you work with people? And and how can our listeners take some of the easier to master strategies out of your work and apply them in their lives? Great question.
2: So there's a few simple exercises that have been, you know, have proved to increase happiness and decrease depression. So one of them is what you mentioned, which is keeping a gratitude journal and writing down three things that you feel grateful for on that day. Another way to prioritize positivity in your life is called the three good things exercise. So that would entail writing down three good things that happened to you, Each day and explain why. And the why is very important because it helps you relive what was good about that day. So I really loved spending time with my dog because she brought me a lot of love or she showed me her loyalty. And so that makes you feel that positive emotion. Something else that people can do is think about their character strengths there is a wonderful uh, free survey that people can take and it's a called the VIA strengths survey mm-hmm. and anybody can access that on viacharacter.org you take a survey and the you will get a ranking of your 24 character strengths and what are they do, like
1: character strengths like what
2: like i'm a nice person like kindness perseverance, honesty, appreciation of beauty and excellence, um, judgment. So, you know, uh, all kinds of character strengths. And if you maybe take one of your top five character strengths and you say, okay, kindness is one of my top character strengths. I'm going to use kindness every day in a different way for a week. Very simple exercise, but it's, it's you taking those strengths and applying them in your life. How can this help us
1: with our money? All of these are wonderful strategies to make you feel better about life in general, but money, as, as you and I have talked before, is just one of those areas where we also often feel like we don't know what we're doing.
2: Well, that's a great way to phrase it because we can't always know what we're doing, but we can take time and be mindful about what we're doing before we do it. So obviously, when it comes to worrying about money, that's stressful, right? right? So we know that we need to cover basic needs to be happy. We need things like food and shelter and clothing. But once you have enough money to be comfortable, getting more of it isn't going to make a difference in how happy you are. I mean, you probably know there are studies of lottery winners that show that after a relatively short period of time, they're no more, more happy than they were right. before their win. And, right? and there's a
1: lot of research out there that shows, I mean, and it really depends on where you live, but that once you achieve about a $75,000 level, more money isn't going to bring you more happiness. And granted, $75,000 in Peoria, where I used to live, is a lot different than 75000 in New York, where we live now. But the concept is absolutely true, that once you've got comfort. More money doesn't buy more happiness.
2: Right. And I think it's really important to understand where happiness comes from. So in terms of the relationship between money and happiness. So there's a researcher named Sonia Lubomirsky, and she wrote a book called The How of Happiness. And she researched where happiness comes from. And what she discovered was that 50% of our happiness comes from our genetics. Mm -hmm. 10% comes from our life circumstances. So perhaps the socioeconomic class that we're in or we're born into, 40% of our happiness comes from ourselves, the choices we make, the things we do. So it's not money that's what makes us happy. It's this positive emotions and the engagement and the relationships and the meaning and the accomplishments that I mentioned before, you know, these five elements of well-being.
1: And being mindful of all of those elements, being in the moment, being more present, which as you know, Karen, is something that I sometimes have trouble with, is key in making all of this work together. So I wanna dive into that. But before I do that, let me just remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives. That's why they sponsor this show, because they understand and that we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. And sometimes we need different strategies in order to do that. So visit fidelity.com slash its time. You'll find lots of conversations like this one with my friend Karen Austin. You'll find information about how to manage during life's biggest events and most challenging times. Again, the website is fidelity.com slash It's time. I'm back with my friend, Karen Austin. She is a positive psychology life coach. She teaches mindfulness, and we're going to get a lesson in Mindfulness 101. So what is your definition of it?
2: So mindfulness is essentially as simple as focusing on your moment-to-moment experience.
1: So it's not the same as meditation.
2: It is not the same as meditation. It is actually a form of meditation. So just to stick with mindfulness 101 for a second, this is our ability to pay attention to our immediate experience, to things that are happening as they're happening, okay? So for example, if you are focusing on your breath, you are just inhaling and exhaling and you're thinking about The focus being on how the air is moving in to your body and out of your body. You're not focusing or thinking about what I have to buy on my way home from work or what I'm going to have for dinner. So you're focusing on the moment as it's happening. So if you think of meditation as a large umbrella, under that umbrella, there's a number of practices that can enable us to reach a certain level of consciousness. Mindful is just one form of meditation, and that's the act of focusing on being in the present moment.
1: I'm looking around my studio and we're all breathing very intently now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it makes it makes total sense. But as we are starting a mindfulness practice, if we're doing it with the idea that it's going to help us with our money and our career, what in particular should we focus on?
2: Okay, so. First of all, for the people who are really interested in mindfulness and just, you know, starting a practice and doing it really, you know, from the ground up, there are a few great apps that people can um, check out. One is called Headspace. Uh, there's another one that I like called Stop, Breathe, Think. And a third one called Calm. Great, great sources of information when it comes to mindfulness. In terms of money, I think one of the most effective forms of Mindfulness, when it comes to money, is this idea of taking a mindful pause or a mindful moment. So there's a great quote by Viktor Frankl, who is a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. and it's very, very poignant. And he, he wrote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our freedom. So let's turn that into money. Right. Let's say you're walking down the street and you see a pair of shoes in the shop window. <laughs> Something
1: okay. Something we can all relate to.
2: Yeah. So that's a stimulus, right? You see a pair of shoes, you're, you know, your body sort of like gets a little bit of a rush. Well, that would be an appropriate time to take a mindful moment and maybe stop, take a couple of breaths and say to yourself, do I need those shoes? Do I have any pairs of shoes that are similar? Can I afford those shoes? So it's a purchasing pause.
1: I mean, we've been talking about purchase. I'm sitting here and I've been sitting here for like a year saying I suck at mindfulness. And in reality, I've been doing that for years, you know, and and advocating that people
2: take a purchasing pause. So
1: I don't don't suck
2: at mindfulness. You don't. You don't. And so that's exactly what that is. And needless to say, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have (laughs) to apply only to a purchase. But I think that that is a really, you know, a great use of mindfulness when it comes to money. And in terms of career, I think about mindful listening as a great practice when it comes to career because it mindful listening really cultivates our relationships. So often when we're listening to someone speak, we're actually not listening to what they're saying. We're often focused on how are we going to respond mm-hmm. and and maybe even judging what they're saying rather than specifically listening to the words being spoken. And even the pauses in between some of the words. So I feel like mindful listening is a great way to cultivate relationships, you know, in the workplace and in life in general.
1: Well, her money is a judgment free zone. We are very, very emphatic about that. So you won't find that here, but I totally understand what you're saying. And I think sometimes as a reporter, when I'm thinking about getting all the information that I need for my story, I'm always jumping ahead to the next question, and I, I need to pull myself back a little bit and really just listen to what people are actually saying. Does mindfulness help with understanding what's important in your life? I mean, we all have this, or many of us have this, mentality where we say yes to things too quickly and too often, and we should be thinking about whether we actually want to take them on and can do them fully and well before we say yes.
2: Yes. Um, I think that this ability to slow down and to focus on what's important is huge benefit from mindfulness. And it's really the va- like science is now validating all of these benefits. So we're seeing emotional and physiological benefits from just being mindful and savoring the good moments and being grateful for the people in our lives. And what the kind things- of
1: emotional and physiological benefits?
2: So the benefits physiologically and emotionally would include increase in attention, having more self-regulation, so being more in control of your emotions, also enabling you to be kinder to yourself and other people, and totally decreases stress and anxiety. By practicing mindfulness and a lot of these tools of positive psychology, you can literally change your brain chemistry. And the more that you practice these exercises and use these tools, the more primed you are for experiencing these benefits.
1: How, how long did it take you in your own life to start seeing real results?
2: I would say it took me a few months of consistently having a meditation and mindfulness practice. And it has really changed my life because it has gotten me to slow down and it has really helped me to see beauty, even in times of pain and darkness. I mean, we all have a spectrum of emotions. That's human nature. But prioritizing positivity and gratitude and kindness has just had a huge impact for me.
1: It's fantastic, and it's wonderful work. You've got a new website at KarenAustin.com. I'm going to spell it for everybody so they can find it. It's beautiful. I want to know who took the picture of you. <laughs> it's Karen with a C, C-A-R-E-N, Austin, O S T E N dot com. Thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Jeannie. Great to talk to you.
1: You too. We'll look forward to having you back, and we'll be right back. So Kelly is with me in the studio. Hi, Kelly. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm good. I'm
0: feeling more calm than I was because as you were doing that interview, I was focusing on my breathing.
1: True, right? Mm -hmm. I was starting to focus on my Mm -hmm. breathing and then I thought, well, if I'm focusing on my breathing, I'm not active listening. So problem. Such a good point. But you also, (laughs) for journalists, we have to do both at the same time. But I
0: think it was a good moment for me, especially, too, of being like, OK, when I am not in interview mode or working to be better at active listening, because I, too, I think about what I'm going to say to the person's uh, comment before they're done. And therefore, I'm not truly listening to the person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, very
0: good. Very good. Such good advice. Yeah, such good advice. Well, so what do we have? I pulled from Facebook for today because I've been neglecting it. So I have oh. three questions from Facebook. Okay. Yep. Our first one is from Nareen. She writes, how do I get rid of a credit card that won't remove their yearly fee and not have it affect
1: my credit score? You don't, is the answer. But it may not matter. Mm. If a credit card... That you've had for a long time that has a large credit limit is one that you decide that you want to close because it's got an annual fee, and I totally understand that we should not be paying for credit cards that we are not really using and getting benefits from. You're going to take a hit to your credit score, it won't be a huge hit. So, the key is to do a couple of things try to replicate the credit line. So, if you have a $10,000 credit limit on this card, and that represents a lot of the credit that you've got available to you, replace it by either going to another card in your wallet and just asking them to increase the amount of credit that they're giving you, which you can do fairly easily, or opening another credit card with a card that doesn't charge you an annual fee. And don't close the card before you are just about to apply for a big loan, like a mortgage or a car loan. Other than that, if your score is decent, if it's good, I wouldn't worry about it. Go ahead and close the card. Just don't make a habit of closing a lot of cards at one time, particularly before, as I said, you're going to take out a mortgage.
0: I'm going to put Hayden on the spot because she is the queen
1: of negotiating the annual fee, and we should have Hayden do scripts. Oh, we should absolutely have Hayden. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll have Hayden do some scripts for negotiating with your credit card companies. And I'm also going to have Hayden call the airline for me because I was on a plane home the other night Mm -hmm. and the plane had, first of all, very little air conditioning. So it was really uncomfortable. No Wi-Fi, Mm. no entertainment system. (gasps) I know it was a long flight and the guy sitting next to me made a very good point that If they had just told us, because they knew that it hadn't been working on the way in, if they had just... Alerted us while we were sitting and waiting to board the flight that it wasn't working. People could have downloaded things and put them on their devices so that they could watch them. Well, not to mention your fare price has gone up. Our all of our fare prices have gone up over the years
0: because they're accounting for that onboard entertainment and those extras that you weren't given.
1: So right. therefore, so, you were
0: paying for something that you did not receive. So I want a little bit of money back. I think we're going to so put too. Hayden to
1: work because she is she is the queen of getting money back. I, so there I we think go. There was an
0: outlet broken on her seat once and she got the airline to give her money for that.
1: Oh, my God. I know. She's a master. All right. Anyways. Next, all right. Next episode of Her <laughs> Money, Hayden and Negotiation. But we've got time for one more question. We do. We do.
0: Next, Jennifer is wondering how she can consolidate her student loans. Do you know of a legit source for doing it? Also, is it possible to do a show about this on Her Money? I love the
1: podcast, and we love you, Jennifer. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Yes. You know what? We will do a show on consolidating student loans. It's We've done it in the past at least on student loans in general, but sure, we'll tee that up because I think you're absolutely right. I would look at SoFi. I'd look at Common Bond. I'd look at Citizens Bank, and I'd look at a website called Magnify Money that actually aggregates all of the different offers that are out there for refinancing your student loans. Here's the deal, essentially. You can refinance both private student loans and federal student loans. But if you consolidate and refinance federal student loans with a private lender, you then lose the opportunity to go into an income-based repayment program, to go into a deferment or a forbearance kind of situation where they essentially put your loans on hold. And so I'm actually going to send you first to our sponsor, Fidelity. Fidelity has this new student loan repayment tool where you can plug in your loans and essentially they'll tell you whether refinancing versus one of these kind of income-based repayment programs is the better way for you to go. So it's just a really nifty way to look at the landscape as a whole and know that you're making the right decision.
0: Perfect. I have a fun one to end on. Can we do one more? We can do one more. And let's end on this one from Amy. This one reminds me of my dad. How do I convince my hubby to toss things in the kitchen we only use once a year that we really don't need? Tips, please. And I was thinking about how we often tell people to shop the pantry first. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if there's anything there with this.
1: Do you think she's talking about food? I think she's talking about food. Hubby to toss things in the kitchen. We only use once a year. I, in my mind, I'm thinking the the gadget that you use to scoop out an avocado when really you could just do it with a knife and a <laughs> right, spoon, right? Right? Maybe. So if it's one of those gadgets and you don't have the room in your kitchen, I would. Box it all up and put it in the basement. You know how once you move and you don't unpack your boxes and then six months later you still haven't unpacked that box and you think, well, I can throw everything in this box away. I never So this is just like that. Yes. But if it happens to be food, oh just throw it away. He's never gonna notice. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Just throw I would yeah. Just just do it when he's not home. He will not notice. That's exactly what I would do. Do it. And then if he notices, apologize later. But this is one of those situations where you don't ask permission, you ask forgiveness. I love that. And I, uh, my dad does this with like bathroom products, like lotions and stuff that I, cause
0: my mom and I are guilty of buying too many different yeah. lotions <laughs> and creams and sunscreens and chapsticks, what have you. So we'll throw them away and then. <laughs> You know, weeks later I'll walk into my parents' bathroom and there they are on my dad's side. Like he'll go in the trash he and he'll take them, them out. He rescues Aww. Yeah, he rescues them. But anyways, <laughs> thank you everyone for your questions.
1: You are um that was a good one. I liked that question. One of my favorites. All right. On our Thrive segment today, raise your hand if you are a perfectionist. Kelly's got her hand raised high. Being a perfectionist is often seen as a characteristic of very high achievers. But in reality, this was new knowledge for me. In reality, it could be making you sick, as in physically ill. Over the past 30 years, researchers have found perfectionism can actually create or amplify health issues. And we're talking about things like eating disorders or chronic illness, anxiety, depression, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about what Karen said about mindfulness, and I think paying attention to those things that you're really grateful for can relieve you of some of these perfectionistic tendencies. Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new website, it took a look at the research on perfectionism, and it found that it comes down to being not so much about perfecting things, your job, a specific project, a relationship, but about perfecting the self, yourself. And the urge to do it doesn't come from a healthy place. If you go too far, it can also impede success. For some people, it turns into procrastination since it becomes impossible to take on things that we don't feel that we can actually do perfectly. If this hits a little close to home, then you should know the fix is not one size fits all. And it's probably not going to be quick or easy. It just begins with being aware, being mindful of how you view yourself and working on that relationship first. Self-talk really helps for some people or just getting into the habit of being a little more patient with yourself. It will take time, but that combined with a little helpful nudge from your friends and your family will likely lead to improvement. Thank you so much everyone for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to my friend Karen for a terrific conversation to our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX and coming up next week, we'll be talking with Melanie Locker. She writes the blog Dear Debt, which is all about breaking up with your debt. She's also got a retreat coming up. It's called the Lola Retreat in Portland, all about women and money toward the end of august so you may want to look into that we'll talk soon